Welcome to Let's Face the Facts, the rewatch podcast for the classic sitcom, The Facts of Life. Join us each week as we synopsize, analyze, criticize, and ultimately idolize the show. And now, here's your host of Let's Face the Facts, the wonderful David Almeida! Thank you, Matthew Arder. Welcome back to another show. Thank you for downloading and pressing play. This week, we welcome back actor Tim Williams to the show. It's been a couple years since he's been with us, and it was worth the wait because this is a hot mess of an episode, and we had some really fun, uh, animated, passionate discussions about it, and uh, its I, I can't wait for you to hear this. So uh, let's get right to it, where we discuss Season 7, Episode 21, called The Candidate. And the original air date was March 1st of 1986, and let's just jump right on in. Let's face the facts with Tim Williams. Well, here he is back again. Only two years later, he started beating down my door saying, David, you have got to put me back on your podcast. It's the wonderful Tim Williams. So nice to be here. Thank you. Oh, that voice. Yeah, that's sort of the pat, you know, radio when you're on a radio show or on a podcast. That's what you're supposed to say. And so, David, Matthew, it's so nice to be here. Thank you for having me. Thank you for having me. Isn't that what you're supposed to say? That's the. But you say it so well, Tim. And I'm just like, <laughs> Matthew, you're you're very quiet. Do you want to say hi to Tim, Matthew? Hi, Tim. <laughs> this is why season seven is the best season, David, because it has the best episodes, and this one included. This is the best episode. It's one of my top five. It is one of my top five. No wow. kidding. Oh, so wow. I, I and I am fully. I've got my armor on because I know you bitches fucking oh, hated God. it. I, I didn't hate it. I did not hate it. Um, I had I had a lot of qualms. Matthew, this would be one of my bottom five episodes. Oh, I y'all, think y'all are so wrong. I I want to start Tim by apologizing that I subjected you to this. Oh. Uh, no. It's going to foster some lively discussion, certainly, but what a rough episode. And I'm not just talking about Lisa Welchel's hair. That I will give you. That is my one concession. That is my one concession. And that's Blair, right? Hmm. Oh, yeah. I I think I wrote down in my notes, I wrote down helmet. Oh. She's got a hair helmet on. Well, we can let's 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 get this out of the way right now. now. I, wait, wait. I will say this r- real quick. You you said this was this was season seven. It was good to have me on the show again. And that's one thing that I thought when I watched this episode was, wow, the last time I was on the show, what did we do? Season two. It was season three. three. Season three. Season three. Episode it, thirteen: the Americanization of Miko. That, that's right. And so it's amazing how much this show has evolved and changed, and the characters have evolved and changed since I've last been on the show. It, <laughs> it's it's truly it's truly incredible. We'll talk more about that. Yes, it's pretty neat. Let's let's talk about this hair thing and get it out of the way. Mm-hmm. I had forgotten. I had kind of done a little skim of the episodes when her hair started to really get bad a few weeks ago. 
And clearly she's growing it out. It's in a middle phase, but th they had never done this attempt to do a, an Angelian meets Justin Bieber thing uh, with a little Joyce Bulafont thrown in for, for good measure. But it's like, what in the hell is happening here? I forgot that Blair wears a kangaroo costume that has to go over her head and over her hair. My theory is that this was hair that was compatible with putting the thing over it, taking it off, and then being able to quickly do a reset between scenes without having to do a complete wash style set tease spray. Her, her, her hair is that different from other episodes? Oh. Yeah. Yeah. In yeah. this Usually particular episode? Gotcha. Yeah. Usually it's big and up and it looks more like Joe's, just not as mullety. Mm -hmm. Of the many, many attributes of her beauty is her hair. Blair sure. always had all that blonde hair. Mm -hmm. And the fact that it is so completely, you know, and, and she's still dressing in that 80s. She looks like Dorothy Michaels from Tootsie. She's wearing a, a satiny blouse that a 45-year-old secretary would wear to work. We, we It's not a good costume episode for her either that isn't helping this mm -hmm. unflattering overly matronly look that she has in general throughout the show. Well, I think you just said that. There you go. I'd like to think that it's a character choice. It's it's overly matronly. It's She's supposed to be a politician or that idea of the square politician. Um, that that maybe that and the kangaroo. <laughs> and the kangaroo head, yeah. I honestly so, just think she's in the middle of a grow out. They're trying new things as her hair's as her hair is growing. And I have a feeling in person, it didn't look that helmet-ish. Mm. I have a feeling in person, it looked, it probably looked better. Because you remember, she's only like 5'2", for God's sake. Right. So I have a feeling in person, there was, it looked a little more fullness. I've had that experience with wigs where like, as I'm looking at it in the mirror, it looks one way. And then I take a picture and I'm like, oh my goodness, I look like Viv Vance from I Love Lucy. <laughs> <laughs> You know, um, but anyways, so oof. Yeah. Well, I can't believe we've we've spent nine minutes on this. Yes, no, it's true. When Tim a straight man notices that your hair is messed up, <laughs> that I guess. <laughs> so let's get to this. We're going to talk yeah. some nuts and bolts here, Tim. First, we are going to be discussing season seven, episode mm -hmm. twenty-one, called "The Candidate." And the original air date was March 1st of 1986. Oh, wow. The episode was written by Michael Maurer, M-A-U-R-E-R. -E this is his second of six shows that he has written for The Facts of Life. And you might recognize the name because his first episode was uh, a, a notorious episode, Tim, called Come Back to the Truck Stop, Natalie Green, Natalie Green. And it was a fever dream wrapped in an acid trip, wrapped in a cartoon. And I mean that literally because most of Michael Moore's writing credits are in fact cartoons, which explains a lot of what happens in this episode. Oh no, it really does. Yeah, doesn't it though? But no, we'll it discuss really does. Yeah, it was it, it struck me as very Hanna Barbera. Mm-hmm. It really did. I think the kangaroo suit was a reject from the wonderful banana splits. And what is wrong with Hanna-Barbera? Oh, no, 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 nothing's wrong with Hanna-Barbera, but 
a, a primetime sitcom is not Hanna-Barbera. And Hanna-Barbera, Saturday morning cartoons it, 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 and, and weekday afternoon cartoons is not a, a primetime sitcom. Yeah. Are the I Flintstones not Han- Are the Flintstones not Hanna Barbera? Well, yes, yes, and they are based on the uh, the honeymooners. And they were a primetime sitcom, were they not? Yeah, that's yeah, true. The prostitution true. rests. <laughs> no, it's true. It's true. Don't you think the format changes just a little bit? Like they dumb down the formula to for children. No, I'm just enjoying you. Prove me right that this is one of the greatest episodes of the series. Oh, that's I forgot that we're going back to yeah mm, you, no, your no, your are, your first yeah, yeah assertion. Mm-hmm. So, so go ahead, bestow the virtues. <clears throat> go ahead. I have a love hate relationship with Hanna Barbera. That's a whole other podcast. But the episode was directed by Valentine Mayer. Uh, what a great name, Valentine Mayer. I was like, oh, I wonder if she's uh, related to Jerry Mayer, who was one of the developers of the show, one of the writers uh, that was had been here from the beginning. And uh, I cannot find any information about Valentine Mayer being related to Jerry Mayer. But what I can mm. find out is Valentine Mayer is not a she, it's a he. Everyone called him Val. Yeah. And yeah, Val Mayer is the first... Uh, This is the first of six episodes that he will do for the series. uh, And he will be with it through to the end, till end of season nine. Um, He's only worked on five series from 85 to 89. Uh, Not sure what's going on with that. Also uh, married to the wonderful Nancy Dussault. Who's Nancy Dussault? The wife on Too Close for Comfort. Anyone? Ted Knight's wife on Too Close for oh, Comfort? Oh, yes. The, the short red hair. She was a Broadway singer, a uh, musical theater person that went sitcom, but really, that's really the main thing is Nancy Duso. So, Tim, this is the yeah. point in the show when we like to put our guest on the spot and ask you if you would provide a one to two sentence synopsis, a short, I cannot stress the word short synopsis what you might see maybe in a TV guide listing for this particular episode. And if it is not short enough, Matthew will judge you harshly. Go. Natalie attempts to run for political office of the town until she is thwarted by her best friend. Matthew. It would have been fine just to end it at Natalie runs for mayor. That's interesting enough, isn't it? But I love that this episode is such a sitcom trope of somebody entering politics or somebody very interested in politics for one episode. Either somebody runs for mayor or somebody's working on somebody's campaign for mayor. And I am here for it. Mama's family did it. The Golden Girls did it. Every uh, show in the history show has, has done, done it. it. Yes. Oh, totally, mm-hmm. totally, totally. So let's get to the actual microscopic dissection because we have not dissected microscopically enough to this point, Tim Williams. <sighs> so the wonderful thing I love about this episode. Okay, Matthew, I'm going to give this episode credits where I can. 
It takes place for the most part in the store during business hours where we have a sense that they are actually fucking running a business. There, that is something I like about the show. Mm -hmm. Okay. There are shows, Tim, where all four of them are in the house, on vacation, out of town, uh, anywhere but in the store. And it's like, who's minding the store? Hi, you all run a business. And it's and it's that's 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 fascinating. You said that because my thought was, wow, there's only they're using one set for this show, the store. Until Almost and we do get yeah, yeah we do get yeah. the house. But I thought that too. At one point, I was like, oh my god, is this it now? Damn it! But uh, yes, uh, I've been trying to be better about paying attention to the store, getting my nose out of my my book, out of my notes, to point out some of the merchandise in the store to celebrate the '80s tasticness of it. Did you see anything, Tim, there that caught your eye? Um, I should have made notes. No, I, yes, I saw stuff that caught my eye, but I can't remember offhand. I, I'd like to hear what what you remember. What what were some of the other things uh, well, that were selling? Duck baseball hats. Yeah, that's I. I yeah, what was Where that the about? bill of the hat was literally the bill of the duck, and we see that at Disney all the time. I almost was like, is that a? Could that be a Howard the Duck? Thing? I, I don't I thought, think I, I thought Donald Duck, Howard the Howard the Duck, what's going on? Yeah. Yeah. But they could have kind of doubled for either. It was kind of a generic but familiar. What are they uh, selling in the store, David? What I didn't uh, get it. It's think of it as a Spencer's gifts without the dildos. <laughs> and the and, and without the lube. And, and without the mustache rides here t-shirts. Now we can't be sure that those things aren't behind the counter. <laughs> but that's true. But yeah, it's a Spencer gifts. Basically. Yeah, it's just a, a novelty. It's a gift it's shop. a gift store. Gift yeah. Shop. yeah, yeah. We had an inflatable beach ball patterned like a watermelon, and in front of that, the gigantic, comedically funny joke sunglasses. Mm. So we have like a beachy thing going on, and a, a big inflatable birthday cake, and uh, yeah, and lots of penguin stuff in the window and behind the counter penguins penguin clocks figurines that was an interesting uh recurring thing um i'm sorry we're getting off to a slow start i'm aware of that it will pick up pace as we go we do also need to address a couple of fashion things Mm -hmm. we've talked about blair's outfit uh joe is in a long blue overcoat with massive shoulder pads oh oh my gosh she looks like david byrne <laughs> from, from talking heads yes with the big boxy <laughs> it's true yeah uh, can you two not allow a little bit of whimsy when you watch this yeah. show and appreciate it i remember mm-hmm. as a child watching the brady bunch and thinking how delightfully, ridiculously they were dressed. Yes, agreed. Why can't you look at this show and say, look at how ridiculously 1986 these ladies are dressed. Oh, no, no, no. This is, no, no, we are celebrating this. Absolutely. No, 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 Matthew, you're you're taking it the wrong way. Uh, David Byrne was a sexy, masculine well-dressed dude and joe is a sexy masculine well-dressed lady so i was yeah. taken aback now yeah uh, to your point david i'm not i'm not deriding i'm not deriding her for this outfit but i will say i was taken aback because again this goes back to remember season three was the last time i i, got, I caught up with these with these people. yeah they're in uniforms outfit 
She's not in a motorcycle outfit. She doesn't nope. look like she doesn't look like a female Fonzie. Um, <laughs> no. You know what I mean? Now, now she looks like a female Richard Greco, for God's sake. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. So I was really I was I was like, whoa, OK. Shoulder pads were a little ridiculous, though, don't you think? Oh, Matthew? God, Come yes. They, they were. were a little ridiculous. Yeah, no, no, we're celebrating the ridiculousness. No, yeah. Matthew was thinking we were deriding this fashion. Yeah, she looked like she belonged on the uh, on on the cover of an Aha album. Yeah, <laughs> is what I. Is what I really... As did every woman who was stylish in 1986. True, yes. true, true. So no, true. Grace Jones, remember Grace yeah. Jones? Oh my God, Grace yeah, Jones was so great. Everything was symmetrical in fashion in the 80s. So yeah. you had to have that triangle because shoulder pads would make your waist look smaller. Obviously, that doesn't work when it's in a giant overcoat. <laughs> <laughs> and you're not accentuating your waist at all because now you just look like a box. <laughs> but, <laughs> but yes, it's okay. wonderful. Yeah. But the real reason I'm bringing up fashion is because uh, a listener wrote in to me many months ago. Uh, his name is Chuck Edwards. Chuck, if you are listening, hello. I have not forgotten that you wrote in to me to point out that the outfit Tootie is wearing at the beginning has a koala blue logo on it. Koala blue was Olivia Newton-John's no. casual wear line where she opened up a bunch of boutiques starting in Los Angeles. And eventually they had 60 of them, both uh, in this country and in Australia, France and Hong Kong, started in 83, but it ended in 93 because it couldn't survive the recession. But Koala Blue was uh, the Olivia Newton-John line of casual and active wear. Oh, well. Please tell me the stores were called Xanadu. No, <laughs> no, it was called yeah. Koala Blue. <laughs> And um, y'all ever heard a koala? Y'all ever heard a koala? I like no. heard one make a make a noise. <laughs> make like a noise. A, yeah. Yeah. No. I've, I've held a koala, but I've never heard it. Can you imitate a koala? Um, there's a reason that they're called tree pigs. It oh. is the most horrific, frightening, <laughs> awful sound. <laughs> it's hilarious oh, coming out of this cute little quiet koala and then it goes <laughs> <laughs> maybe that's what i what i felt about um joe's shoulder pads <laughs> this, this you know what i mean this 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 adorable this beautiful beautiful strong woman uh, with with a <laughs> of an outfit <laughs> i for the record, <laughs> honestly, uh, for the record, let me just say that my tenure so far on this show has been nothing but making fun of women's hair and outfits. Yeah. And I'd like, I'd just okay. like to put it out there that that's not who I, that is not a reflection <laughs> no. of who I am. Nope. Tim Williams, time's up because now we got to get to shitting on this plot. Okay. Oh, oh perfect. Perfect. Instead of yeah. shitting on the, uh, the female characters. Exactly. Jesus. Yes. <laughs> uh, so... Tootie's thing is, Tootie is bringing in a lot of this kangaroo merch for this new thing that's going to be happening in Peekskill called Howie Land. And their mascot is Howie the Kangaroo. And so Tootie is like, oh, no, no, Howie Fever is going to be hitting. We need to get all this stuff in here and capitalize on she's it. She's really into the koalas. She's into koalas and kangaroos. And she's she's all uh -huh. about the Australians, by the way. Just Tootie likes to go down under. If you know what I mean. Yeah. 
that I think that's Joe. It's like the, likes to go down under, wouldn't you say? Anyway, that's that's a lesbian joke. All right. Um, so simultaneously, we have re-elect Mayor Callahan posters. Mm -hmm. Blair is working for Mayor Callahan's re-election campaign because Blair Warner, you know, uh, of all the titles Blair has had over the course of this show, political activist. That's that's um, yeah, that's one that let me think has never ever applied to Blair. And uh, but yeah, we're setting into motion that sitcom trope of, oh, we've got someone working on a political thing. How is that going to play out? Well, very quickly, what we figure out is that Natalie, who comes in to the store holding a newspaper, all excited, claiming to be a published author, finally, because the newspaper printed a letter that she wrote saying, I don't like the idea of this Howie Land thing, and I think it's bad for Peekskill. And I, I have to stop and do a little more of a close-up on this because she writes in this, and I'm quoting this letter now that Natalie wrote and was published. It says, uh, has Howie Land made a pact with the devil. This upstart marsupial will rape our land and blood our skies while he fills his pouch with our hard earned dollars. My suspicion is that Mayor Callahan is in Howie's pocket, or should I say pouch? Is that a Pulitzer or what? <laughs> But the, the, the thing that I thought right off the bat was we're not talking about Walmart or Disney or, you know, uh, but, uh, 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 you know, uh, uh, I don't know, just an ordinary water park or anything. It, 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 she makes it sound like it's a blood diamond mine. You know what that's I mean? Just, but the thing is, she doesn't make it sound like anything. It's all these vague generalities as opposed to. So what are you talking about? And it's one of those like it's going to turn our nice little town into a tourist haven. It's going to change our traffic and living, things like that. I mean, you know, gentlemen, all three of us can say we know very well firsthand the difference a community feels when a theme park or attraction comes to town. And this is why I was so secretly glad to have Mr. Tim Williams, who is a native Floridian, mm -hmm and can vouch for the change in this area in your lifetime because of a certain company down the street. Absolutely. That turned 50, what, 10 days ago mm -hmm. um, in, in our lifetimes. And it's, it's amazing, amazing how much, but I would call it progress. Maybe that's the one thing that struck me was I would say that progress has been made to this central florida community in 50 years uh yes there's traffic and there's but we have a thriving um community here that's 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 like economically robust and uh it's kept thousands of people employed for 50 years so i i, I don't know from the very from the very get-go the idea of putting a theme park in in this small town didn't hit me as hard as i think the writers wanted it to, or, or at least for me to sympathize with Blair's fire and brimstone uh, uh, essay. There's no question there are positives and negatives to that. But the fact is, it's like, well, Natalie, you could be more specific in a letter. And then to tag on to that is 
some mail arrives and Natalie has gotten letters from readers of the paper responding to her editorial and she reads them and it says, she's like, oh great, people are here and I'm feeling all the support and all the love. Reads one, I hate you, you're stupid, I hope you get warts. And then (laughs) she says, well, there's always one naysayer. Opens up the next one. We love Howie, you stink, you should crawl under a rock. And I'm like, this is the internet. This is Natalie going on a rant with generalities and no specifics. And then people come back and saying, fuck you, you fucking fuck fuck. I thought so too. I thought it was like she was reading her Twitter feed. Or- yeah, exactly. It's yeah. so funny. The, the more you, more world changes, more world stays the same. So but- you agree that there's a, um, oh, how would you say timelessness to this episode? <laughs> Yes, Matthew. I that agree. fact will be proven as yeah. we go on. The social significance, Matthew, is is um, a resounding. Yeah. The yes. social commentary, <laughs> dare I say. I think it does boil down the human condition to its most basic, raw, and uh, eternal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's so. a goddamn our town, for Christ's sake. <laughs> mm. Mm-hmm. Now there's a show that gets better with age. Okay. Uh, one of the letters does say, I do agree with you, Natalie, you should run for mayor. You know, cause reading that again, Pulitzer worthy thing. Clearly this is politician material. And Natalie says, well, maybe I should. And Blair's like, well, you can't, you have to be 21. And since she does work on Mayor Callahan's campaign, She's like, I'm sure he would not sign off on anything that would be such a negative impact on the city. Chill, Natalie, come on, calm down. Uh, We do have a show Bible moment, gentlemen. And for this, I will give it its props and a credit. How do you mean? Joe says, well, he is a politician. I mean, to automatically assume he's doing what's best for the community versus what's best for himself. And Blair says, oh, really, Joe? And you're an expert on politics now. And Joe says, well, I did serve on the Board of Regents at Langley College for a semester. Ding, 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 she did. We witnessed this happening. Oh, that's cool. That is a show Bible moment. And I am always pleasantly surprised when these happen. So her her tenure at uh, Langley is is canon. (laughs) It's canon, correct, correct. It was the semester that they added tofu burgers to the cafeteria. (laughs) That was her big accomplishment, yeah. Oh, that's funny. Tofu burgers. (laughs) (laughs) That was still very new in the 80s. Remember that tofu? We didn't talk about tofu in the 80s. (laughs) Should not talk about tofu now. Uh, It's it's fine. Well, let's not get distracted. We could talk about tofu. It has a consistency of a deviled egg to me, and I can't can't stand those either. No, that's interesting. Yeah, the, the white, the white of a deviled egg. Yeah, it's like the cr- it crumbles. And anyway, anyway, anyway. So Natalie's going to run for mayor. Yes. Mm-hmm. On a different day now, the next day or a few days later, uh, we have, we're still at the store. We're in different outfits. Uh, again, 80s-tastic, nothing specifically of note that I need to stop for. Um, Andy comes in carrying a gigantic kangaroo costume. And... Uh, Tim, what were your thoughts about Andy? Were you very confused as to who this child is in the store? So funny. Andy, when did he show up? (laughs) Last season. 
why did they throw him on there? Was that sort of like a Kirk Cameron? Mm. They're trying to compete with that sort of. It's funny you bring it up, um, Timothy, because it is one of the few, very few times in sitcom history that adding a kid to a show actually does make the show better. Mm. It's it's weird how it worked out that way. Other than just, you know, Kim Fields at this point is 16 and it was supposed to be a show about young people. Mm -hmm. We don't know why they decided to add a young boy. This must be a mid to late 80s thing to to your point too, Matthew. Matthew. Um, uh, Will, Will Wheaton on Star Trek. They decided to add a teenager to Star Trek and that was 88. So that was two years after this. I think it was 88, right? The first season. Yeah. Um, But yeah, just I always thought that was interesting too. Why are we adding, why are we putting a child on board the enterprise on star trek is it to to reach a younger audience you know to make the the, was it 88 when did that show come out no i think it was like 87 i was yeah yeah well it's been done since the beginning of time hasn't it i mean and they learned nothing from cousin oliver nothing Mm. as cousin oliver says i don't know if you've ever seen an interview with him he goes let me remind you, the show sucked way before I got there. <laughs> and he says, and he goes, I was in nine episodes. Yeah. He says, if you are, if you think that I, as a 10 year old child was capable of ruining a sitcom in its fifth season in 10 appearances, guys, come on. Yeah. <laughs> He's right. But He's totally right. You should know his pedigree. Is important because his dad is the wonderful John Aston, and his mother is the wonderful Patty Duke. Oh, no way! Mm-hmm. See, and I don't have to pause and wait for your confused look because you actually know who those people are. You got some fucking <laughs> culture, Williams. Oh, that's really yeah, Patty Duke. That's uh, that's really cool. It was a trope, perhaps, that producers did, but I didn't notice it at the time, and I'm not really, I haven't really been consciously aware of it until just now. Like, for instance, Andy. Why is Andy suddenly on this show? Um, why is Will Wheaton on 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 The Next Generation? Because I, I always grew up with sitcoms that that already had young people built into it. They were sitcom families, like Family Ties or 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 Ricky Schroeder, you know. Um, yeah. In 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 um in that show, uh, all the Cosby Show kids. So I, adding a child is not something I'm conscious of. Maybe, but they had another kid on Family Ties, and then after the baby was born, the next season they made him a toddler. Remember that they added to his age because it was you know it made more sense to have a toddler in tow than a than a baby baby. Uh, give me a break. Added Joey Lawrence. Okay, sure. Yeah, sure, sure. and then um, what was the other show you cited? It was um, like uh, not was it Silver Spoon? Yeah, Silver yeah, Spoon. Yeah, Silver Spoons. Ricky Schroeder. Yeah. Yeah. They didn't do that, but oh, about Cosby, they added they added more kids after Rudy. We got. Oh, you're right. We got mm-hmm. more of them. It's that thing of 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 fuck. We can't let our cast get too old. We're gonna lose the family audience. Fuck. Right. And and, and it sucks. And I mean, even uh, too close for comfort. Ted Knight and. And the, his wife, played by uh, Nancy Dusso, who we mentioned earlier, they had a baby, allegedly, when they were, you know, in their 40s. You know, they were both probably 60 at the time. But, yeah. you know, the, the whole thing of the family shows where they, they have another baby. And it's like, ugh, guys, enough. Um, 
but yeah, no, Mackenzie Aston, we love him and we love it. A great moment where uh, he comes in later, I will mention, later, he comes into a scene and says, so I found out, Natalie, that you can run for mayor if you put a change to the charter on the ballot. All you need is 5,000 signatures and handing Tootie a clipboard. He says, I've already got 300. And Tootie looks, and as Tootie is looking over the clipboard, it's like, since when did you get so politically active? He says, I've always been here to help my fellow man. And Tootie says, all these signatures are from girls. He goes, and women. Perfectly timed. Yeah, it was great. Perfectly timed. Uh, and he is horny, Tim, by the way. This is the horniest 12-year-old you will ever see on television. Always like this, getting the girl signatures, saying, how can I date a stewardess? Uh, it, it, it's a little disturbing, the, you know, the sexualization of teenagers. We've already been doing it with the girls for many years now. Again, again, in watching these Disney shows with, with my daughter, I noticed the same thing though on Disney, all the, uh, it doesn't matter if the, if the boys are, uh, basically preteen or teen, if they're anywhere from the age of 12 to 16, they are the, uh, they have some sort of, uh, sexual magnetism, you know? Uh, all the all the girls worship them. They're they're in, they're into the gals, you know. Even even yeah. if they're twelve, that that's that's a common. I think that's a common theme. Yeah. Well, which is uh, yeah the the sexualization of, of yeah. teenagers, which happens mm. all the time. Never not funny. Ha <laughs> ha. Right. But with Andy bringing in this big kangaroo costume, it will be set up in the window in a seated position as part of their display and merch for Howie Land the kangaroo mm -hmm. uh then uh natalie is on the phone announcing her candidacy for mayor even though that scene we just talked about with andy happens much 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 later in the episode so you're like wait why is she announcing a candidacy for something she can't do and then we discover later that she can matthew you, you did you raise your hand matthew are we going to ignore the whole being disney experts anyway are we going to ignore the whole fact that this random shop got a hold of a actual character costume <laughs> from, from this theme park? It's not like it's not like oh, the yeah. times. It's not like the Times Square Mickey Mouse. Like they got the kangaroo costume yeah. just to put in their in their window. OK, <laughs> yeah, no, it's, I'd, that's I'd true. like to go back in the time machine and take over as um, property control for um howie land please thank you <laughs> hmm. matthew uh you're proving this this episode has holes in it wow that's one that's one i i noticed we're not going to mention the woman power moment of her saying she's going to run for mayor and not one eyelash was batted about a woman running for mayor in 1986 i think oh, no, that's, that's that, wonderful. very true yeah okay except that the 300 signatures were all women. Women got to help women. Again, women being there for women. It's important. Then Blair comes into the store with the mayor, Mayor Callahan, whose picture we've been seeing on these posters. In comes the mayor. Uh, the mayor is played by Tom Sharp. And that's Tom with an H, by the way, T-H-O-M Sharp. And, uh, IMDB describes his career perfectly, best known as being that bald guy in the ad for that thing. Yep. 
tons of credits. I could not name one of them. A lot of voiceovers too, because he has a distinctive voice. Oh yeah, um, and 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 he's made a career of corporate and political. Uh, gosh, not slime buckets, but he's he's really good at playing um, the oh, inert white guy. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. Like, yeah, not not quite nerdy, but just mm -hmm. al almost wimpy, like the wimpy white dude and this character being absolutely one of them. Uh, here's the thing. It's so funny how certain actors have uh, have a legacy on the Internet and some do not. Uh, number one, I couldn't find anything about uh, Valentine Mayer, the director of this, to try to find out if he was any relation to Jerry Mayer. There mm -hmm. is no there is no. Uh, Wikipedia page, you can find barely anything about Valentine Mayer on the internet. And then uh, same again, Tom Sharp, uh, he has an IMDb page, but he doesn't have a Wikipedia page. So I can't even tell you his date of birth. I don't know if he's still alive. I think he is. But his last credit was in, I think, 2001 in some movie written and directed by Harry Shearer called Teddy Bear's Picnic. It looks dreadful. Oh wow. Uh, but previously to that, his penultimate credit at the moment is from 96 to 99. He Home played improvement. He was one of Tim's brothers on Home Improvement. Yes. yes. So, um, yeah. But I mean, when you look it up, when you see him, you're like of the many actors, character actors who have appeared in the show. You're like, oh, God, that guy, of course. Um, so. Uh, Howie Land comes up in the conversation because he's like, oh, you're Natalie. I wanted to meet you. I hear you're running for mayor also. Uh, no malice or anything. And uh, he says, you know, well, this Howie Land thing, I think it's going to be good for the community. And that says, yeah, it's going to turn our nice, quiet town into one big souvenir shop. So uh, he says that he and his people have determined theme parks are good for the echo structure. Uh, echo structure is an interesting word. I'm glad writers, you were kind of trying to think outside of the box and put something that sounds political, but that's not really the right word. And I don't think that's what he means. And I don't think that's what you mean. Echo structure. What's, what's the real word? I, I think it would be infrastructure. Yes. Is there another word? I, I think I know what um, echo structure means the economical not just the oh. infrastructure, not just the roads and, and buildings, and but but the economic structure of the entire town, like how how we all do business and how we all relate. Right. It's so funny you said that. You're thinking economics. Mm -hmm. Immediately, I went to ecology, e oh, ecological gotcha. structure. You're totally right. If he yeah. now now the question is, what does echo structure really mean? Does it mean economy or ecology? I have to look this up now. That's that's what I took it to mean. The framework to replace current infrastructure models based on siloed approaches to develop or remediate distressed natural distressed natural resource areas. That's ecological, mm. I think. What do you find? Do you Google, Tim? I'm finding, I'm finding um, echo structure, uh, climate change adaption. Okay. Interesting. Maybe it's a so word that has changed over time. I don't know, but okay. So I'm not wrong that my brain immediately went to ecology as in mm -hmm. uh, theme parks good for the ecology. Uh, do you know how much waste a theme park generates? <laughs> <laughs> you gotta be you're building a theme park. You're also building a landfill, I hope. You're gonna need it.
I got the impression, just what we were talking about before, what Disney has done for Central Florida, that it has completely changed the economic infrastructure, which I guess mm-hmm. the echo structure of, of Central Florida. Yeah. In which case, if that's what they mean, writers, I will give you a pass for this, if that's what you were meaning. But um, yeah, I, I still am, am wary of your intentions. I think maybe they made it up thinking they were Shakespeare or something. Yeah, that sounds like a political word that, again, words words like infrastructure. People say, um, I think it will help synergize um, infrastructure and uh, 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 re- reaching out to our partners. In, uh, it's, you know, it's kind of one of those buzzwords that you're like. It's so, so bizarre. I, I think it's a made up word. Uh-huh. Matthew. And- Matthew, this episode really is trendsetting. <laughs> it is. <laughs> it made up a word, Matthew, that to this day, 40 years later, we don't know what the fuck it means. We don't even use it anymore. <laughs> we don't, we don't even, we don't even know that the writer was married to a woman who played the person who was married to Ted Knight on a Broadway stage. <laughs> the fuck You're is welcome. going on? I need my, I need my my pdf notes <laughs> but the mayor comes off as nice t- a little bit sycophantic but not too bad uh but yeah inert is the word that keeps coming to my mind he's got that sort of yeah. wimpy wishy-washy i'm not sure why blair would stand behind him because the the personality that he gives off does not say what a political leader who will be at the front lines of progress for this town inert passive um not and and not not uh uh doddering or incompetent but but benign yeah just inert that's a great word yeah so as it's being discussed blair does say well mr mayor if there were something untoward going on there regarding the 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 theme park and the city i mean you would do something about it, right? I mean, if if a staff member discovered something weird and brought it to you, you would do something, wouldn't you? And he kind of is like, oh, well, no, I mean, it's going to be a good thing and cool and great and synergy echo structure. Bye. He completely blows her. I thought that was the most profound moment of the show, frankly. He completely blows her off with with uh, p- uh, with uh, political jargon and doublespeak. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, he goes back to his talking points, his stump speech, yeah. ignores her, and and Blair really does have that. Uh, huh. Yeah, oh boy. It, yeah, it made her. It it, it just hmm. it, yeah. for a second she was like, "I'm on the wrong team." Yeah, and That's you see it, and it's that. it's yeah. it's not subtle at all the way she plays it, and then <laughs> yeah. as you later realize what what does come to pass as a result of this two-line interaction uh but uh, yeah and he's just like um it's that it's that thing of you know it's it's that binary thinking of what no i mean theme park good that's my campaign theme park good not theme park bad bye mm-hmm uh, see you tonight at the Howie Land party. That's important too, because that is the only clue or hint we get that Blair has somehow been at or near anyone or anything affiliated with the creation of this theme park. That comes up in a little bit. 
so then the phone rings after Blair conveniently is like, oh, I have to leave the room to go um, helmet my hair. Bye. And then the phone rings and it's a disguised voice. And it's it's trying to lower the voice and make the cup sound over like that. And and th this person uh, gets Natalie on the phone, identifies themselves as sore throat. Really? First thing I thought, Ma Matthew came to my mind. So when she said sore throat, I knew that was a reference to uh, to uh, Bernstein's, uh, you know, deep throat. Mm -hmm. And I thought, Matthew, well, we're going to have a field day with this one. What What do you think, what Matthew, speak about? Uh... God, Matthew, you're not responding. Goodness gracious. I thought it was hilarious. <laughs> Come on. You think they... that in the family hour, a sitcom referencing the basically the whistleblower for the Nixon presidency and all of its atrocities, mm -hmm. which the media sensationalistically dubbed this person who was so deep into the administration and knew all these things. They called him Deep Throat because it was the name of a porn that was out that same year that was popular. Yes. Is that Linda Lovelace or whoever yes. it was? Yeah, yeah that was yeah. it was Linda Lovelace, yeah. But yeah, Deep Throat is the name of a porn and then later attributed to the man who was revealed not until 2005 was it revealed that it was the FBI associate director Mark Felt who was Deep Throat yeah. in the, the Watergate scandal. You um, are skipping over the fact. It is oft remembered the first time the word pregnant was said on primetime television. <laughs> David, it is oft remembered the first time a toilet was flushed on primetime television. It is now the first time in this groundbreaking episode, David, that the name of a triple X feature film was ever uttered on primetime television that's that that goes to that award goes to miss mindy cone best actress on primetime television at, at least it wasn't hannah and her fisters or whatever at least it was you know edward penis hands edward penis <laughs> i've seen that timothy i have seen that it is uncomfortable i rented it uh yeah, penis hands, I imagine they would be. But anyhow, uh, yeah, at least it was this this somewhat avoidable. Mommy, what does deep throat mean? <laughs> la, 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 la. Uh, the person was talking in a deep voice. Yeah, that's what we're going to go with. Yeah. Anyway, so, you know, but this person, this sore throat voice, and we have no idea who it is. Uh, this person says that they have some dirt on how we land. Uh, meet at your store at midnight and come alone. And so Natalie hangs up the phone and says, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm in business here to be a candidate for mayor. I got someone who's about to give up some dirt on them. And even Tootie and Joe do say, you're, you're going to meet this person alone. And of course, they're saying him, assuming it's a man. What if he's a killer? Oh, hope he's not. La, la, la. Next scene, the store at night. This is the scene where I just, I, I lost my mind. I, I wanted to claw my face off and walk into the ocean, as you would say, Matthew. 
that we are in the store at night. Mm-hmm. At least there is the moment when Andy pops up, scares the shit out of Natalie. And we learn that Andy and Tootie and Joe were behind the counter with baseball bats to help protect their friend. Thank God for that. But she dismisses them and they go off into the other room. And then Natalie's just walking around, la la, in a dark store. Someone says, some dude says he's going to meet me here. She goes to the door to unlock it. It's like, oh, it's already unlocked. He must have picked the lock. La la la, that's not scary. This isn't Dane. La la la. And then, as Tim was saying, I'm, I'm telling you, she are knew you it. here? She knew it. Mindy Cohn knew it. She read this and said, "This is fucking dreadful." Yeah. This is awful. This is season seven. She's collecting a paycheck and she's like, whatever. And those, and that's, it's all in her delivery. You can hear it all in the delivery. Is anyone here? Hello? Oh, it's Matthew, the delivery of the joke. Is it just me or, or a giant kangaroo? Uh, It it was ill-timed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Matthew. Yeah. There's spooky music it. playing. We we have we have spooky music playing to underscore the tension of this scene. That was clever. That was uh the music was very reminiscent of Friday the 13th. Oh, it was totally. Sh- sh- and then we had some yeah. Yeah, it was very high pitched sustained yeah. uh digital string was, type of sound. It, it was 80s with a sh- 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 yeah. yeah. And that then and then finally when she's like are, are you here? Is it just me? <laughs> Uh, we see the kangaroo figure that is in the picture window. The head turns and you get this dum-dum-dum-dum kind of Jaws-like thing. And then it fades to commercial. Oh, and you're going, who is it? Oh. No, Matthew, defend this scene. No, no, no. Take the emotion out of it. What in the actual fuck is happening here? You are asking once again, David, as you are wont to do for some semblance of reality in an 80s sitcom. Yes. Enjoy the whimsy of a no. fucking <laughs> kangaroo. <laughs> oh, bless. Oh, bless. You've got your opening line for the TV guide. Um, uh, Natalie runs for mayor of her small town and whimsy ensues. Whimsy. <laughs> I think that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. Matt, okay. Here's the deal. It's not the moment of the kangaroo. I. It was one of those, the, the setup to it, the whole, oh, someone wants to meet me at the store at midnight. The fuck is Andy doing there at midnight? Doesn't he have parents? What the shit? We won't even talk about that. But at midnight, hi, I'm a I'm a teenaged woman. She's 18 years old. And I'm going to meet someone at my place of work only to discover, oh, I don't need to let them in. They've broken into my place of work, which is connected to my home. And the fact that she's like, Oh, guess he's already here. La, la, la. That is the thing. It's like, that is where we depart so far. I'm not asking for realism, Matthew. I'm asking for any connection at all to something that makes sense to the human brain. I, I agree with you. 
I agree. Well, with you, David. I, I apologize, David. You're not going to get that in a 1986 sitcom. <laughs> You're real fun to watch, like unsolved mysteries and shit with. I bet. Oh, my. No, <laughs> unsolved mysteries. They're following logical, intellectual leads, Matthew. I'm sorry. I just I can't even. OK, oh, it, get, it gets better, David, because you're I know you're just about to explain it. The whole the next plot device is nothing but a setup for just a bad joke. Terrible, just bad joke. physical humor, bad physical humor, bad okay. physical humor. So we come back from commercial uh, and Natalie's like, oh, yeah, to protect your identity. Sure. So we go into this ridiculous charades to get the words out. Duck you and mints. Yeah. Yeah. And Natalie has to get it to documents. And it's all terrible charades. Try to do charades in a big old costume. And then finally, she's like, oh, oh, documents. You have documents. And then the kangaroo reaches into the pouch and hands them to her. And Natalie even says, you couldn't have just given them to me. Why'd you have to go through all that shit? It's like, yes. Thank you. But but David, that's 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 an old trope. That's an old joke. I, I thought the same thing. It's like this this whole thing is just a charades joke uh when 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 in the end all she had to do was hand her the the file but i don't know it just seemed shoehorned in there uh, we have thank you tim though for for admitting once again the timelessness of the comedy of this episode Yes, very, very Comedia dell'arte. <laughs> yeah, no, Chlamydia dell'arte is more. Anyway. I stopped taking notes. I stopped taking notes after the Yeah, because they're- like, I'm done. I'm done. I, I still have 40 pages. Okay. Oh, anyway. Uh, <laughs> so, um, so, so to continue with my what in the actual fuckness, Natalie's like, oh, well, these are documents. Thank you. Bye. And- the, the kangaroo starts to head for the door and Natalie just walks away, goes back into the house. It's like, I guess she'll see herself out and uh, you're going to steal our costume, our display. Like the, there are so many teeny tiny logical tendrils missing here. And then after the scene in the dining room, when Natalie shares the documents, and thankfully we do have at least Joe and Tootie and Andy basically saying they've been listening in. They could overhear. So they were still there to protect Natalie. But Natalie was not advocating for her own protection in any way. But the documents she's handed are plans for Howie Land. Mm -hmm. And the thing that they point out is they realize the exit ramp is miles outside of the city limits. So none of the tourists are even going to see Peekskill. So, so you want the tourists, right? But I thought Natalie's complaint before was this little town is going to become overrun with tourists. So we're not even going to talk about that, that contradiction. But then we've got the five-year projection plan that's going to pave Lake Peekskill and put up a shopping mall, hotels, restaurants, and essentially a whole separate city. Mm, you pay your paradise, put up a parking lot. <laughs> Ooh, 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 ooh. Someone wrote a song about this episode, David. Someone wrote a the song about it. The timelessness. And now yeah. we're getting into and now we're getting into the true definition of echo structure. <laughs> echo structure. But but okay. Anyway, 
So now it's like, okay, we've got all this dirt that shows it's bad for the city. I, it's oh, like, I lost. Okay. I was lost. I hear you, David. I was, I, I started to get lost. Okay. I, I've tried guys. I mm-hmm. was trying to figure out mm-hmm. how to fix this episode and I can't do it. The only thing I can think of are these little points of thank you, David. Thank you. Thank you for no, admitting no, no, that you no, cannot no. fix this perfect episode. No! God damn it! <sighs> oh, good night, everybody. The best I could say is if, if Howie Land was going to be a little park and the mayor was like, no, it's going to be good for the community. It'll be a nice place that the locals can enjoy. It'll bring some tourists in here. It will be good for business and the economy. Great, that's that's certainly a good um, a, a good point of view to have about it. I mean, there there are tiny little theme parks and you know uh, adventure parks all over the country that exist perfectly fine. You know, we had we had King's Castle Land in Whitman, Massachusetts. You know, uh, there's all these little places. Gatorland. Uh, Gatorland. Thank you. Uh, in beautiful South Orlando. Cypress uh, Gardens. But then if these plans revealed uh-huh. this, <laughs> if these plans revealed that this was not going to be a quaint little park that was going to bring some extra traffic through town, if they said, no, 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 they're going to take over the entire southern region of the city pave over all of the lakes and the forests and the the cranberry bogs and the Amazonian gold mines. (laughs) So this reveal could have been, oh, no, no. They have got a much bigger project in mind that is going to have a much worse impact. But that's not what they had. Yeah, that's not what they were saying. So the scene ends with them like, great, we've got these plans. Let's go upstairs and go to bed. Not like we locked the door and didn't leave a fucking psychopath inside our store. Anyway, just go up to go up, go to bed, chill. So then the doors open up, the doors that separate the store from the living quarters, and in comes the psychopathic kangaroo. Off comes the head, and who would have ever guessed, Matthew, Tim, who would have ever in a million years predicted or thought it could be Blair? Warner and her terrible helmet hair. Dun, dun, dun. But here's uh, the thing. Here's yeah. the thing. Mm-hmm. Again, in modifications and little extra tweaks to try and at least improve this unimprovable episode. Mm. And I, I don't mean that as you think, Matthew. <laughs> is why didn't why did we reveal it was Blair then? Why couldn't we have waited until the phone booth scene later at the TV studio? Why did we have to know that now? The next scene is a scene in the store where Natalie has a press conference to announce her candidacy. And Joe has basically taken on the role of her campaign manager. And uh, I really have nothing else to say there other than there is a point where as Natalie is talking about becoming mayor, she says, you know what? If I do become mayor, I'm going to change those walk, don't walk signals. That seems dictatorial to me. And I hate those speed bumps. And we'd get rid of little kids who talk in movie theaters. And Joe says, hey, take it easy, Evita. Here comes the press. <laughs> Musical theater reference. That is a thumbs up from David. Anytime. Did, 
Brutis, I never left you. Okay. Well, I also saw in that moment, I thought for the first time, the 18-year-old thing didn't bother me, but it was in that moment that I thought, wow, Natalie would make an awful mayor. Mm-hmm. Like all the she doesn't, she has no business, no business running oh. for mayor. Oh, it gets better. Oh, it gets better, Tim. What, 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 what were you going to say, Matthew? And we bring in the timeless political statement. We laugh at that scene now of a, of a, of a political candidate having no clue what they're doing. Being completely and, unqualified, I see, yeah. And now it's a reality. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This episode, dare I say, is very 1984. Oh, okay. Um, okay. <sighs> Matthew's so, going to change my mind by the, by the time we... Oh, oh no, uh, Dim, no, 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 I will not allow that. I right. will not. That is right. okay. <laughs> Failure is not an option for me right now in my hatred for this episode. Yeah. <laughs> so then we get the uh, wonderful device of the spinning newspaper that says there's a debate mm-hmm. tonight on local television mm-hmm. between Natalie and Mayor Callahan. I have to point out along the top, in case you're wondering, are there still uh beyond middle-aged vaudevillian writers in that writer's room. Big band across the top, extra. Yeah, we're gonna put out an extra edition because there's a debate on TV with these two people running for mayor. Extra, extra. Read all about about it. it. Like, Like the fucking, what? Oh, are the newsies waiting outside for the papes? Is that what's going on here for fuck's sake? Uh, Oh, so true. Unless someone has shot Reagan again, okay? There are no extras. That's, in our lifetime, have you ever seen an extra edition of a newspaper? No, no. It's not, uh, it's not 1984, it's 1937. Yeah, exactly. Oh, the humanity. We gotta get the front page out. Hildy Johnson, I'm gonna bring you back into the fold and gotta get over and get the story from his honor. Uh, anyway, I just had to point that out that there's extra at the top. Yeah, because the Peekskill Press, clearly it was a slow morning, but shit picked up in the afternoon sure. and they had to put out That's that true. other to sell them, sell them papes. Uh, okay, so the next scene, we're in a TV studio. Uh, Natalie is preparing for this debate that's going to be happening. Um, oh, I have a lot of costume notes, but I'm going to skip them. I'm going to resist it because... Natalie is rehearsing a speech about uh, Howieland being like a spore and growing like a fungus and fungus. spreading like cottage cheese, like this crazy sensationalist speech. Well, just like her editorial. True, true. Yeah. yeah. So Blair finally does say to her, Natalie, you don't really think you can win this, do you? Which is weird because we know that Blair has given her those those plans but uh and 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 by the way i need to say presumably blair nicked those plans when she was at the howie land party that the mayor mentions in that first scene that's a really quick toss-off to be like suddenly blair is dangling from a string like tom cruise in mission impossible to steal these this is okay this is getting into the muddy factor of this episode that's so number one blair says you don't really think you can win do you 
uh, to Natalie, which is weird because it's like you just gave her the tools to take down the to mayor. Win. To win. Well, she yeah. was just trying to. Yeah, it's deflection. It's, that, I thought that was deflection. Yeah. Okay. Whatever. Yeah. But then um, Natalie says, "Well, I have some extra information. Basically, they're building a big log jam ride in his in Callahan's backyard." And she's like, "Wait, what?" Meaning he's taking a personal bribe for himself, his family, whatever. Mm -hmm. And Blair says, "I, I, where did you hear about this?" And Natalie says, "Uh." kind of nowhere, but I'm just going to put that out there and it's going to make him look worse. Essentially, Natalie says, that's a lie. I made it up and I'm doing it just to further discredit him. She's playing dirty. Y yeah. And we've had problems with Natalie and ethics before, Tim. Natalie, of all the characters, is the least ethical and has the worst record for being honest, true, fair, and kind and good with her friends. So so this, this begs the question, and I know we're probably going to do this in the summation. Mm -hmm. tomorrow uh but <laughs> but 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 why why would she even offer to give these plans to natalie in the first place if she knows from the outset that natalie's ethics have always been in question ding, 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 that ding. natalie would not make a good mayor why did she even set all this up to begin with justice i i really didn't get this episode <laughs> Right, right. Sorry so then, you. I just didn't. Okay, okay. Keep going. Let's keep going with this. Thank you, yeah, Tim. Yeah, yeah. We're we're, yeah. we're 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 on this. We're on the crazy train now. It's the crazy then, train. Then the mayor shows up, and Blair says, "Is is is Howie Land building you something in your backyard? Are they basically? Are you taking a bribe? Is what it's really boiling down to?" And he's like, "No, not that I'm aware of." And she says, "So this whole thing about the plans of turning Peekskill into a ghost town?" And he's like. Oh, is that what they're planning to do? I didn't have any idea. Blair realizes that he doesn't know. He's legitimately clueless. So then she runs to the payphone. She calls the other payphone, says, Natalie, phone for you. Blair starts doing the, the sore throat voice. And while she's talking to Natalie, she steals the plans out of Natalie's bag. And then later on the air, the mayor presents the plans, gives Natalie's speech about the, the, the cancer and the fungus and the cottage cheese mm -hmm. and says, I've just learned that they've got these terrible plans to do all this shitty stuff. And as mayor, I'm not going to let it happen. She, 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 he takes her platform. Yeah. So, so backing up. So Blair, that moment where she says at the beginning, the first scene with the mayor, if one of your people who worked for you brought something to your attention that was weird about the Howie Land deal, you would certainly check it out and act on it, wouldn't you? And, and he's like, no, and he brushes her off, yeah. But it's like, okay, well, Blair, you took him at his word then with, the party hadn't happened that night. So she hadn't gotten the plans to know that that was gonna happen. And then why would Blair go to all this shit with Deep Throat and Natalie? Blair could have just taken those plans and given them to and the given press, them to... given them to the press and said, okay, here, it's all on you and say, and basically Blair say, I'm on your side, Natalie. I don't trust the mayor anymore. Then there wouldn't be a show. There just, there wouldn't be a. Yeah, gee, but gee, so, but, oh, but the whimsy we get out of all of this confusion. Matthew, what do you have to say for this episode? Once again, proving the timelessness of that storytelling, David, and oh, wait, oh, oh, that's timeless, is it? I want to hear more. That, that's something that you have to accept is a literary technique 
I, I don't want to sound like I'm condescending, David. By the way, con- condescending means talking down to someone. Oh, okay. Thank you. Um, but I just <laughs> have to point out that this episode takes the literary device, so to speak, as you might say, the literary device, there is no smoking gun. It leaves you with that pit in your stomach going, oh, uh, oh, like a gut punch. Uh, almost like Mrs. Doubtfire. How it ends and you think, well, this isn't a happy ending. Because you left the theater watching Mrs. Doubtfire hoping that they would get back together. And they didn't. Spoiler alert. And you leave the theater a little bit unsatisfied and a little bit uneasy. And a little bit thinking. And a little bit questioning. And I think that's what great art actually does thank Confuse, you good night the, the shit out of you great art is pointless in its <laughs> pointlessness <laughs> i mean some people have defined art as being any sort of creation that evokes a, an emotional reaction from the viewer listener whatever you've uh, been this this is the most emotional. fucking artistic episode I've experienced. Let's just put it uh, that way. Thank you. Thank you. I've converted you both. No, you are not for good reasons. This no. has evoked more emotion in you, David, than any episode to date. It's thought, true. And it's because it's the worst. And I and I and the last time I was on this podcast, I thought the uh, the, the Japanese, the harmful Japanese stereotypes. Oh, yeah. No, no, no. Would have been the worst episode, but no, no, it was, it was this one. Um, This has been fun. Has it? But yeah, we're at the, we're basically at the end of the episode. Uh, Spoiler alert, Natalie loses the election and she she was only a write-in candidate anyway. So it's. Oh, and she loses too. She's like 20 votes behind like the crazy woman too. Yeah, like like the crazy crazy cat lady or something down the street. That was pretty funny. Yeah. What a great line. Well, she talks to all those people washing their windows every day. Come on. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, the very final ba-dum-bump is that um, Blair goes into the other room and tries to call again as sore throat, at which point she lets it slip. You've been, you've wanted to be a writer since you were six. Blair basically stupidly reveals herself. And then Natalie goes in the other room. Uh, Matthew, haven't we had conversations over how many phone lines are in this building? How many phones as far as the business phone in the front of the store? That's another inconsistency. That would be a bad non-show Bible moment. Hmm. of many in this episode but it was actually pretty funny that was funny and, and i also liked the the telephone scene too or the telephone booth scene i thought those were funny it, it was okay but it was, it was funny it, in and of themselves but how they served the bigger plot of what is happening what, what here plot? what plot? Uh, <laughs> don't you love farce my fault i fear oh I, I like on. a farce. I don't like a pile of dog shit. That's my oh, thing. It's oh. giving an overall review. Good. I was very disappointed in the writing. I thought this is not this is not the episode I watched last time we were on the show. Um, this is not what I remember. I, I, I mean, this is one of the most. Come on, guys. You know this. You do a whole podcast on it. This is one of the most popular sitcoms in history. 
one of the longest running for its time and one of the most popular. And this did not showcase that at all. (laughs) But it did remind me of one of those kid sitcoms that's written for 10-year-olds. It's written for 10-year-olds to watch. By a man who writes cartoons for 10-year-olds. That is full circle, full circle. Full circle Oprah moment. We win. We win, David. That's why there are things in here that just, it's like, because in a cartoon, you shoot a bullet through someone's hand and there's a hole in it. Mm-hmm. And then two seconds later, it's healed. And it does, there's no consequences. There's no A leads to B, leads to C, leads no. to D. It's like, oh, you do wow. know these are human flesh and blood people, not okay, cartoon you know, characters. You know, when we're in a Hanna-Barbera cartoon and uh, speaking of Flintstones, I think you brought up the Flintstones earlier, Matthew. So we're in the Flintstones and we're we're being chased or someone's chasing someone and they keep running by the same living room furniture over and over and over. <laughs> the background never changes. It just keeps, yes. That's what this fucking episode felt like to me. Yep. Okay. I got that out. I feel better. Okay. Well, no, I, I I guess neither of you were listening to yourselves extol the virtues during this whole thing. So it's so bad, Matthew, to the point that I can't sit here and say change A, B, C, D, and you have an episode that makes sense. I can't even make sense of this. Oh, that's sweet of you to say, David. Um, I want you to both shed your skin of the 2021 world-born, world-weary men that you've become Mm. and watch some 80s sitcoms. They still got to make sense. I'm sorry. Why? Why do they have to make sense, David? Why? There are other episodes in this season, in this show. Most of them do make sense. This is an anomaly. Well, Tim Williams, the last thing we like to ask people is um, what is this was the show that Matthew and I grew up with, and it was among our top destination television TV viewing experiences. Mm -hmm. So if I say to you, Tim Williams, what was your favorite est of all show growing up? What would it be? What a difficult question, but uh, probably the first toss up between the original Star Trek series mm-hmm. that I watched in syndication mm-hmm. or Knight Rider. Oh, okay. Talking car. That's a, Ooh, you are straight. Aren't you? Wow. Yeah. <laughs> you mother trucker are going to sit here what? for what? two hours and talk about how illogical. Look, I didn't say Fantasy Island or Magnum P.I. I said fucking Rider, facts <laughs> of life was. Yeah. <laughs> and tell me more about how much you love Star Trek and fucking Knight Rider. Oh. I'm <laughs> out. Oh, we're all snorting. We're all snorting. <laughs> Yeah, this was a shitty episode, Tim. It it didn't have a talking car to fix it. I wish it did. Couldn't have been worse. Or David Hasselhoff and his perm, man. Oh, man, it was awesome. Well, Tim, thank you so much for making the time to come back. God, it is so good to see your face again. Great to see you too. It's great to see both of you again. This was fun. Always fun. Always a great time.
I cannot wait to see you in person. I love you very dearly. And until next time, smooches and goodbye. Mwah. Bye, you too. And there you have it. That was Tim Williams. Next week, we're going to be watching Season 7, Episode 22, Big Time Charlie. And my guest is going to be another returning guest. Mark Baratelli is going to be with us. If you want to watch the show ahead of time, you can for free at dailymotion.com or on Pluto TV. I will post links in the show notes and on this episode's webpage. That is all for now. Thank you so much for listening to this week's show. And remember, the facts of life are all about you. Let's Face the Facts was created, produced, written, hosted, and edited by the wonderful David Almeida. Our theme song was beautifully arranged and recorded by Ned Wilkinson. Please visit facethefactspod.com for supplemental photos and videos, links to social media, and ways that you can support the show. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. This is Matthew Arder saying tune in again next week for another thrilling episode of Let's Face the Facts.